A reading from John 13, 1 to 11. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for Jesus knew who was to betray him. That was why you said, not all of you are clean. This is the gospel of the Lord. Almighty God, Almighty Father, it is such an honor to come into your presence today. We do not take this for granted. It is at the very, very gift of your Son, our Lord, who gave us access to our Father. And we know it is your joy to reveal Jesus to us. And we pray that for each of us today. You know our hearts, you know our lives, you know our burdens, you know our wounds, you know everything about us completely beyond what we know of ourselves. Lord, please allow us to see Jesus today. Oh, how we thank you for the, the gift of the, of the comforter, the helper, who leads us to Jesus. And how you come, Lord, to bring your presence that fills our hearts with all that this world cannot give us. Though we try to find it so desperately in every corner of this world, in all kinds of things, we try to get what we need. But Lord, it's found in you. Let us find it today. Our hearts filled. Because here in this place, as we gather together in your name, Lord Jesus, you are here with us. And we want to be 
where you are always. And we pray this, Lord Jesus, in your name and Father, to your glory. Amen. And there are many of us scattered across the country that um, pray for Emmanuel. And uh, to be actually here with you is such an honor. Um, to know that there is a place in the city to come. Um, and so it has been a joy for me to be alongside. And you didn't know it, but there are many of us outside who just hold this community before the Lord and your leaders and every one of you um, to be strengthened for all that the Lord has for you and to be a witness in this city. And I'm going to actually take that principle that I outlined and give an example to it this morning. And the, the actual testimony comes from our Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, as he sent the, don't go there for, no, no, go to John 13. If you've got your Bibles, go to John 13. But the principle comes out of Matthew 10 when the Lord fills his disciples with the Holy Spirit and sends them out to preach the kingdom, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, just to, that new life going to pour right through the disciples. He gave them this principle out of Matthew 10, 8. Freely you have received, freely give. Freely you've received, freely give. You cannot actually give until you've received. And if you've received what he has to give, we are changed by it. And when we're changed by it, we have to give it. And I want to share that principle through this story, this remarkable event from John chapter 13. This moment that the Lord Jesus loved his own and loved them to the end. There's movement in this text. You'll find it in verse 4. There's movement in this text. He rose from supper. He laid aside his garment. He girded himself with a towel. He poured water into a basin. He got down and began to wash the feet of his disciples. There's movement here. There's movement. And what I want to suggest to you that, that, that if you're trying to grasp it, he's going to tell us in verse 7, if you drop your eyes down, what I am doing now, you do not understand now, but you will afterwards. What I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will understand afterwards. And I want to confess here before you today, I'm not sure I still to this moment understand what's happening here. It is too big for me. I come to this text and I tremble with it. Why is that? I say it's because the gospel begins with me trembling already. I don't understand the beginning of the gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Already I'm completely lost. This, this is the moment we know that God speaks. We know if you look at Hebrews chapter 1, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions, in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son. This expression of the Father, this word become, becoming, becoming flesh and dwelling among us, this, this word, the perfect expression of the Father, is with the Father, plurality, and yet is 
The Word was with God and is God. And the Gospel of John's going to pan that out. Jesus will actually say to us in John chapter 10 and verse 30, I and the Father are one. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by him and apart from him. Nothing has come into being that has come into being. And in him was life. And that life was the light of men. And that word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. Glory is of the only Son of the Father. We beheld his glory as the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The epistles are going to try to grasp this. Again, I suggest to you, it's impossible. Listen to Colossians 1.19. It was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. Listen to chapter 2, verse 9 of Colossians. In him... The fullness of the Godhead dwells in bodily form. That little sound coming out of Bethlehem. The fullness of God in bodily form has arrived. And he has come to dwell among us. He has come to tabernacle. I like that word the best. He has come to tabernacle among us and we beheld his glory. I like it because what it does for me is it sends me right back to Old Testament. It sends me back to the end of Exodus where you go through this long story of the, the, the description of the tabernacle, the description of what's called the tent of meeting, and then you go through the, the, the rest of Exodus where you see that it's actually being built you go through the architectural phase, and then you're actually seeing the, the, the whole being built, this wonderful place being built. At the very end of the book of Exodus, if you haven't read it, I'm going to spoil it for you utterly and completely. At the very end of the tabernacle, the, the cloud comes down, the Shekinah glory comes down and fills the tabernacle. And that tabernacle, full of the glory of the Lord, dwelt among us and took on flesh. This, um, this, this statement in the wilderness has two parts to it. The first part is that tabernacle dwelt in the center of the camp. The Lord has chosen to draw us near because he chooses with his covenant people to dwell in the midst of his people. The tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among us, and we shall be his people, and God himself will be among us. That is from Revelation 21. It's the whole of the Bible. The Lord drawing us near. And yet the other prong of this is that there is still distance, because there's a veil in the tabernacle that we cannot cross into. There's a distance. And right from the beginning of Scripture, there is a sound. If you're a musician, you can hear it in the composition right at the beginning as the orchestra of the Scriptures begin. There's one coming 
who is going to break down that distance. We don't know much about him at the very beginning. We know in Genesis 3.15, he's going to crush the head of the serpent. We know that. We know in Genesis 49, he's going to come from the tribe of Judah. We know that. In 1 Chronicles 17, we know he's going to come from the tribe of Judah, from the line of David, and going to sit on the throne forever. We know that. We get to the prophets in Isaiah, unto us a child... Uh, a child is unto us a son is born. The government will rest upon his shoulder, and he shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We know that. Just why the name Emmanuel is so perfect. In the middle of the city, in the middle of New York City, God with us, right in the center of the city. This one coming among us. And yet, by Isaiah 53, he's going to come as lamb. As you move through the rest, and I've only given a cursory, I come to this passage of Daniel chapter 7, and it says, Behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. To him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, and all peoples, nations, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This one, this one before whom every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth one day shall bow before him and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. One day he should say down into the New Testament, all authority has been given to me. Such majesty is this one come among us who deserves all of our attention. This one from the Father who is equal to the Father and yet come to us, dwelling with us, dwelling among us, has come for us to erase the distance. And the Baptist knows this. And when the Baptist comes to the River Jordan, this is the sound that comes out of him. I am not worthy to untie the song of his sandal. He knows the majesty of this person. He knows the wonder of this person. And even, even John would not stoop to be the lowest person, the lowest servant on earth. Nobody washes feet. Nobody tends to the feet except the, the lowest of servants. And John said, I'm not worthy to be even the lowest of servants. Because this one, you see, John caught a vision of who this one is. This one who's come to rescue us. This one who's come to save us. The sandals of whose thongs I myself am not worthy to untie. No, no. I don't understand this text at all. He rises from supper. He takes off his garment. He puts on a towel. Now that, in picture form, is the incarnation itself. Leaving the glories of heaven and becoming like one of us. Pouring water into a basin because he's come to wash us. Wash us on this night as a picture of what he will do the next day. 
to wash us in his blood and cleanse us and have the distance go away forever. He's come to rend the veil from top to bottom that you and I might have access to our Father. No, no. Not only do I not understand it, he said we wouldn't understand it. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. We would never really catch it. It's from Philippians 2. We would never really catch it, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. It would take special eyes to see his glory. Because here, in, in the appearance of sinful flesh, it says in Romans 8, 3, that the Father sent his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. So you have to have eyes to behold his glory. He came taking the form of a bondservant, pouring water into a basin and getting down at his disciples' feet. He has come to wash us. This is what he's come to do. Peter um, knows glimpses. He's not going to know till Sunday night on Easter night that new life that's going to come rushing into him. Not until Jesus breathes upon his disciples, receive the Holy Spirit. Are they going to move from being followers of the Messiah to being Christian, born again by water and the Spirit? Receive. Peter and the disciples have glimpses of his glory. Glimpses. And Peter, perhaps more than any, because Peter, the Father, had whispered into Peter's ear, Peter, this is my son. Thou art the Christ, he said at his confession. The son of the living God. Peter knew, but yet Peter didn't know. And Peter says to him in the next verse, verse 6, Lord, do you wash my feet? And that's where verse 7 comes in to Peter. You do not understand right now. Afterwards, you'll understand. But Peter, right now, you're not going to understand what I'm about to do with you. He's come, he's come to rescue Peter, and Peter doesn't know it yet. To say it's in the language of the scriptures, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord, the Father, laid upon him the iniquity of us all. That which has separated us. Our iniquities which have been a separation, a distance. He has come to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and Peter doesn't understand it quite yet. And out of Peter's mouth comes a phrase. I don't want to dissect Peter. Go home and dissect him. Put your counseling glasses on and figure out why he said it, but I can only say, regardless of 
Peter's own story. It's my story. And I fear it's all of our story. Out of Peter thunders a word. And you'll find this in your text, just in case you're not believing what I'm saying today. Find it in verse 8. And that single word is never. You shall never wash my feet. Never. You shall never wash my feet. I want you to know this is what I deal with in my pastoral world. If you've ever cared for others, you will hear the sound of never. If you've ever looked into the mirror, you will see a full embodiment of the word never. We are a people with a mark of sinful nature in us. And the mark of sinful nature is that, is that self must be at the center always. We've got to be in control of our environment. We need to know what's going on. We decide what happens to us and what doesn't happen to us. We are always in control and everything is on our terms, whether it's with those closest to us, our business associates, whether it's the Lord himself, it doesn't matter. Our hands are out, making sure that everything we are doing, that we're in control. Yes or no? Three of you. Lovely. Let me just say this, if you've been in trauma, and if you've not been in trauma, I'd like to meet you at some point. Um, you will know that you have got to, when you're going through trauma, have a safe place to be, because nobody is trustworthy after you've been through trauma, nobody. And you've, you, you've got that thing inside of you where you, again, have to make simply sure that you're on guard, you're watching out so nothing happens. We're always people with with tight fists, hard to receive, always in control, always on our terms. And if you think I'm actually being a little too forensic in the counseling position, let me take you back to the original trauma itself, just briefly. When sin came into the world and death through sin, the first reaction of the man and the woman was to put fig leaves on. We distance from each other. We don't trust each other. We're ashamed, we're naked, we're, we put fig leaves on. There's separation between us. When the Lord comes in our midst, what do we do? We find trees, trees, fig leaves and trees to hide behind. Because we don't want to walk in the light as he himself is in the light. Let everything in us be exposed and we have to control our environment. We have the Lord on our terms. We want to hear what he has to say, but if we don't like what he has to say, then we take it out and believe what we want to believe and create him in our image. Is that not true? And yet, it's so hard to submit to others because we're a people just trying to survive in life. And so the Lord becomes one who, just give me what I need and let me go on and make it. But if something goes bad, out comes the finger. I call it the Eden finger. It's her whom you gave me. Who is it not? It's that blame. It's that, it's that nobody's trustworthy. When something goes hard in life, immediately, why did the Lord allow that to happen with me? Why? We distance from him. We distance from others. No, no. That word never belongs to all of us. You will not wash, never shall you wash my feet. And that's why this moment happens when Jesus looks at him 
This, this is so difficult to hear, but if you've got ears to hear, these next words are the most important words you will ever hear in this life. It will change how you live. It will change how you die. It will change what life is like afterwards. Peter, if I don't wash you, if I don't wash you, You have no part with me. And the distance remained. I've come to wash you. Let me wash you. And this is where every single revival down through 2,000 years has begun. Where suddenly the Holy Spirit begins to bring us in to the love of the Father for us. And we begin to experience something. The washing is not an academic doctrine. So sorry to tell you. It's not something to be apprehended with the mind. It's to be experienced in the soul. The agape love of God is not something that you're to know about. And to study and to read tomes and doctrines. And there are many people who have. And keep that never straight up. Still in resistance. Still in control of their life. Oh, what it takes to break us, to be a people that says, Lord, I trust you, and I confess my never. I've never said it that exactly way before, but we have to confess our never. Lord, forgive my never. I, I, I don't understand uh, what's happened to me in life. I, I don't know, understand you. I, I don't understand what's happened. But if you've come to wash me, Lord, would you, would you help me get rid of my never? And turn my closed world into open. I want to receive your love. And that's why the beginning of every revival. People begin to experience the love of the father. Found in his son Jesus. Who is to come to wash us by water and by blood. By water, by blood and by spirit. This is the testimony. First John 5 says. And by it we are born again into new life. Something happens. That love begins to come into us. And Peter. Somehow Peter, he doesn't say it in the text, but Peter moves from a never to a yes. And that movement is what we need in this life. Oh, Holy Spirit, come and break down those areas where, where we're afraid to experience you. Afraid to, afraid to allow other people into our life. Afraid to experience somebody caring for us. No, no, we always feel so alone in life and nobody caring for us. Lord, we want to experience you. We want to give ourselves to you. And that's where you hear outside of, outside of this, this moment, outside of Peter's heart, straight from, from within to, to out, he, he begins to say, Lord, oh Lord, not my feet only, for my hands, my head, it's one of the biggest yeses in scripture. It reminds me so much of Mary, the posture of his soul. It reminds me so much of Mary, who's about to receive this extraordinary blessing, this, this gift that's about to come upon uh, our Lord's mother to receive this gift. She doesn't know how Gabriel's trying to say, the power of the Most High will come upon you. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you. It's hard to grasp, and she simply says, Behold, the bondservant of the Lord. Be it unto me according to your word. 
It's coming before the Lord and saying, yes, Lord, this is what I want. And to allow Jesus to begin to wash us and to begin to cleanse us. Listen to how the prophets would describe this moment. Oh, so beautiful. Out of Ezekiel 36, and I will sprinkle you with clean water and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you. I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey all my laws, all my rules. And you shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. He wants to wash us. He wants to cleanse us. He wants to breathe new life in us that we begin to experience the love of Jesus into our lives. He loves us and loves us to the end, but to keep him at a distance doesn't experience it. We need the Spirit of God to bring that love into our hearts so that we know what it's like to receive the wonder of agape. Listen to how Romans 5, 5 says this. The Father has sent his love, his agape, into the heart by the Holy Spirit whom he's given us to fill us with agape. And once you've tasted that, you have begun the journey of what was at the very beginning when the Lord breathed upon his people and created them in his image. Agape made agapes. The infinite agape made finite agapes. And we lost it utterly in the fall and became lustish, not love-ish. I don't know an agape opposite, but that's what it would be. Not those who have got it, but those who are trying to get it. The lostness after Eden. And this is it. The first taste of agape coming into the soul. The first moment that you begin to feel the imago, the image of God coming into us. And let me just say this. Once you've got it, you've got to give it. Because this kind of love doesn't hold it and lose it or just hold it for yourself. When this love comes upon you, you've got to share it and give it. Have to. Have to. It's, it's uncontainable. This kind of love. Do you notice it's not a moral, it's not an ethic? Christians, you need to love one another. Did you hear me? Did you hear me? That kind of school teacher marmish sort of, sort of downcast, like, like a thunder of a law coming down upon us. This is the commandment, love one another. And that's exactly what you're going to find in John 13, 34, 35. A new commandment I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. If you don't know how he has loved you, you can't love one another. If the agape has not converted your soul, you cannot change. That love cannot change you, then you can't give it. But once you've got it and changed by it, you have to give it. And then he says this. This is the church that we love one another. And this is the evangelism to the world. By that love, all people are going to know. You are mine. Oh, I just had to look at Peter today. I've never met Peter today. I, I've met I've, Amber and Jim, I've, but, but it wasn't hard to see Peter. It wasn't hard to notice where Peter comes from, their son. No, no. 
And nor is it hard to see when you've seen a Christian because the agape love of Jesus is upon them. And we begin to have a new life and begin to be changed by that agape love. I've gone on way too long, but I, just, I, need, to, I need to say this. It's just exactly what Jim said at the very beginning. New York City desperately needs you. They need a place to come to experience the agape love of the Father found in his Son. This means that we as the community have to learn to be community and say, Lord, help us to break from the culture. Even the Christian culture is coming to church when they want to and however they want to. And, and, and now with COVID, we don't have to. We can Zoom it. And, and, we don't, we don't, and plus the fact, we don't really have much time, but we will go to church. It isn't time to go to church. It's time to be the church, to learn to love one another as we've been loved and find out how to do that. Because as we learn how to do that, then when we meet people on the streets who are alone and lost and wounded, it's not just what we say to them. We can actually grab them by the hand and say, come with me to a community where you're about to experience the love of Jesus in your life. That's church. It's not political church. It's not entertainment church. It's not business church. It's church where Jesus is Lord, standing in the midst and people have been changed by it, utterly changed by it. And you can't help but saying, Lord Jesus, as you have loved me, I so thank you for my brothers and sisters in Emmanuel. And so help us in the city to pray for the city and to bring those in need here to experience the love of Jesus in worship. Experience the love of Jesus as proclaimed by our, our pastors. The, to hear the sound of Christians praying over us that we might have our wounds healed deep within. Oh, Lord Jesus, that we might feel the refreshment. That we might feel, Lord Jesus, your presence. Just hear with how much you love us and love us to the end. Would you fill each of us, Lord? This very, very morning, would you help us find our never where we kept you at a distance? Would you help us find that finger that has blamed you for things and not drawn you near. Oh Lord, I don't understand how you, so glorious, so wondrous, would become one to serve me and wash my feet, my heart, my soul. How is it that the Lord of glory has become a bondservant? But Lord, we're here to receive. Would you cleanse us from our sins? Would you heal our hurts, our losses, our wounds? Would you, would you break down those places where even in our emotions, we're scared of our emotions, we're in a culture that medicates our emotions so that we no longer can feel the agape, all oh, the love that you have for us found in your son, Jesus. Lord, help us to to lift our hands, lift our hearts, and to receive this gift you have for us, this gift of Jesus, breathing the Holy Spirit upon us, Christ in us, the hope of glory, and grow us in the grace and knowledge and love of you. Help us, Lord, not only to understand and help us to understand all the days of our life, but help us to experience the agape.
And once we have, and once we're changed, oh Lord, send us to give, to freely give what we have freely received. We praise you. We worship you. We exalt you. We adore you. Lamb of God. Worthy to receive riches and honor and power worthy to receive glory and honor and blessing. We give ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.